0: Welcome to Now More Than Ever, a podcast about the critical importance of strengthening community connections to fresh, healthy food and local food producers. Now more than ever, the Farm to School Network is a necessary and invaluable force in aiding the transition to a safe and just school environment. The network works to enhance local food procurement, food and nutrition education, and edible gardens that will benefit students, educators, and farmers alike. Now More Than Ever focuses on how the Illinois farm-to-school movement is cultivating strong local economies and healthy, flourishing communities. I'm your host, Annie Dysart, and Now More Than Ever is brought to you by the Illinois Farm-to-School Network at Seven Generations Ahead and made possible through funding from the USDA Community Systems Farm-to-School Grant Fund. The Illinois Farm to School Network is the Illinois core partner of the National Farm to School Network, an information, advocacy, and networking hub for communities working to bring local food sourcing and curriculum about nutrition and agriculture into educational environments. The USDA's Office of Community Food Systems helps child nutrition program operators incorporate local foods in the National School Lunch Program, as well as the Summer Food Service Program and Child and Adult Care Food Program. In addition, OCFS staff works with tribal communities to respond to their desire to better incorporate traditional foods into their meal programs. This is the Now More Than Ever podcast. Thanks for listening. So I'm here today with John Rollins, and he's from Central Illinois Produce, and we're going to have a whole conversation interviewing him. So why don't we start out with a quick introduction from you, John? Can you tell us a bit about Central Illinois Produce and your role there?
1: Sure. Uh, Annie, first of all, thanks for inviting me on and looking forward to chatting today. So uh, I thought I'd start from the very beginning with a couple sort of fun stories that uh, talk about how Central Illinois Produce got its start uh, was actually back in the 60s. And there was a gentleman by the name of John Palmasano. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was the one, he's like your basic street vendor. He would go up to the city of Chicago and uh, buy produce and then bring it back downstate and then uh, resell it to to farmers markets and restaurants and, uh, all sorts of things. And he was the original startup of the company. And, uh, he was uh, just quite the individual. As a matter of fact, his son ended up coming to work for, for me, uh, later on down the line and was the first person who ever retired from my company. Oh, wow. Um, uh, and, and John, you know, he worked up, uh, with the company with me, uh, up until his, uh, like two days before he passed away, uh, his sons actually brought him into our warehouse and he repacked a few tomatoes just a couple of days before he passed away. That's how passionate he was about the produce business. Wow. Yeah, but uh, he had a couple of great stories starting out. He, he was, a, like I said, sort of a colorful character. And, and I remember hearing stories, he would uh, take the produce, put it on his produce truck, and back then, uh, in the 60s, you really didn't have refrigeration. They were all just dry, dry box trucks. And he would take them out to the the highway, and he'd pull off to the side, and he'd uh, get his tire jack out. He'd take off a tire off the truck, and he would uh, set it off to the side, and he put a sign out and say, "Truck broke down, produce going bad, must sell." <laughs> and cars would pull over to check on him, and he'd sell all his produce, and he'd put the tire back on the truck, and then he'd drive it back into town again.
0: That is so, genius marketing. I love oh, that. <laughs>
1: yeah, you know he he was the one. He was one of the first ones. You know, he'd say, you know, potatoes for sale, and he'd spell it p o t o t o s. <laughs> people would stop and say, "That's not how you spell potatoes." He's like, "Oh, I don't know that," but you uh, know, would you like some? And he would uh, sell them that way. Uh, so John Pompano sold the business to uh, another local businessman a gentleman by the name of paul Domi, back in the 70s and uh, paul and his partner don parks were both products of uh, monocles pizza which is a real big regional pizza chain here in town people know that they had both worked for monocles and they uh, they took over and really started expanding the, the idea of what john was doing into more of direct store uh, delivery uh, focus on restaurants and then they eventually opened up a place in Danville, illinois and uh, that was done because once again back then there wasn't refrigeration on trucks and uh, so even today, and we'll get into this a little bit later on the podcast, talking about the challenges that local farmers have and a lot of that is related to freight, and, you know, getting product moved around. Same thing back then. Uh, so uh, we opened a place in Danville and focused just you know, on about a 30 mile radius around Danville and Champaign. Uh, They reached out to me through a common connection. And and my first opportunity in the produce business, which was almost 33 years ago, was going over and managing the Danville facility. And uh, the way it sort of worked out was uh, Paul got out of the business. Don expanded our uh, company over into the Morton uh, market. You know, he was my mentor and one of my best friends, turned out to be my best friend here later in life. And he gave me an opportunity to buy into the business and eventually buy the businesses from him. So he is now retired and I am the present owner of uh, the three central Illinois produce facilities in Danville uh, Urbana and Morton
0: That's so that great. brings us
1: to, brings us to today
0: yeah that's a big story and you come from really interesting roots too and now it's it started with John and now it's still with you John so mm-hmm. I'm curious about the role you play in connecting schools and farms with central Illinois produce.
1: Yeah, sure. So Central Illinois Produce is blessed to manage a contract for the uh, USDA, and it's administered by the Department of Defense, which is in and of itself sort of an interesting thing. Uh, The USDA doesn't necessarily like to manage all their programs, especially big national programs. So they actually contract with the Department of Defense, which is uh, also known as the Defense Logistics Agency, And they're the largest purchaser and manager of goods uh, in the world. You know, think about uh, feeding our troops, uh, you know, what it takes worldwide. So USDA contracts with them, and uh, we were fortunate enough to receive a bid. And now for uh, going on over six years, we have been supplying schools with fresh fruits and vegetables. I I often refer to it as the Michelle Obama program. Uh, If you remember going back, she was really big on, hey, let's let's make our school lunches taste better and be fresher for our kids. So we have a, a great partnership with the schools throughout the state of Illinois. And one of the things that the USDA promotes is using local farmers, when possible, to get products into the, the schools and, and for the kids. So, we, we, you know, we've been working on that for years now and continue to try and develop that. But, you know, there's, a, there's some obstacles, there's some challenges. I mean, first and foremost, uh, it's pretty obvious, we're in the state of Illinois. When you think about that, you know, our growing season is very limited. And the, the types of products that we can grow uh, is, is different than, say, California or Florida or uh, Arizona. You know, we're, we're great at growing corn and we're great at uh, growing soybeans. But as far as leafy goods, you know, lettuces and romaines and things like that or, you know, strawberries or cucumbers or tomatoes, you know, we just have a little bit more of a limited season, uh, you know, and, and So that in and of itself presents some challenges. And then you think about when schools are in session, our kids are out during the summertime, and that's when things are growing in uh, Illinois, you know, and and states around us. So we have sometimes a a smaller window, you know, the kids come back in August, and uh, our local growers are A lot of them are still uh, growing stuff at that particular point in time, but the strawberry season is over. So it's not like we're going to be getting local strawberries for the kids. Um, But there are commodities that are available. Off the top of my head, you think of things like cucumbers and peppers and tomatoes, you know, and then going into the fall, more of the items like peaches and apples and, uh, you know, the squashes and such. And whenever possible, you know, we, Buy from local growers and distribute them into the schools. Um, there are other challenges that we face uh, with that. You know, a lot of times, our local growers—when you think about them, the, the guys you see at those farmers markets—you love to go up and you know buy the produce in the summertime at the farmers markets. But these are these are smaller growers, uh, limited in what they can grow, and often. You know, they don't have the packaging that we require uh, to, you know, take those into our schools. Um, The other thing about it is uh, food safety requirements. You know, USDA is very uh, much up on food safety. And so, you know, trying to get these uh, smaller growers on board with the, the requirements of the United States of America when it comes to food safety, sometimes a little bit more challenging. Um, Not to say they're not safe, Uh, it's just uh, there's, you know, there's finances involved in getting inspections and paperwork and so on and so forth. And when you're a small grower, that maybe isn't the most cost-effective thing to do. So we have been uh, focusing more so on some of the larger growers. There, There are bigger growers in the state of Illinois or neighboring states like Michigan and such. And uh, they have better capacity. They do tend to uh, package in, in containers that allow us to pick it up, or have it delivered, and then delivered into the schools. You know, a school won't take just an open bushel basket of peaches, as an example. It's got to be in some kind of packaging that we can can take in there. And that also brings up a little bit. Uh, going back to the smaller growers and, and circling back into the beginning of our podcast, talking about uh, f- uh, freight or logistics, you know, a lot of these uh, small growers or farmers, they don't have trucks. There may be people are just picking up from their farms or, or they're just using smaller trucks to take it to, to markets or to local grocery stores. Uh, and they don't have semis or semi loads of product to pick up and and move around the state. So that's where we come in. We we try and match up our, you know, logistics that we have picking up from them, bringing it back to, to our facilities and then distributing it out to the schools. A lot of times our schools don't even know they're getting something local. They really look at maybe some labeling or some packaging, but you know, we might just be listing it as we have peppers for, for sale to the school and the school's ordering them, not realizing that maybe 50% of them came from a local person where the balance maybe came from something out of state.
0: Interesting. So is it, more or less common for schools to be asking about local products
1: more and more schools are asking more and more and uh, I think we're going to have to get creative a little bit I was uh, actually in a call today with some of my staff and we were discussing uh, you know how we can do a better job of pairing up local farmers to our school districts in Illinois and You know, you look at the state of Illinois, it's a big state, my goodness, and there's a lot of schools and kids up north in Chicago, and often a lot of the the farming is done more in the southern rural areas of Illinois. Um, So, you know, this, it might be a situation where, you know, it might be, it might be really hard to find a grower that's capable of providing, let's say, let's say we put peaches out there to our schools and said, hey, we have local peaches uh, for sale for your school program. And we might have tremendous interest to the point that that grower might not be able to handle it. That's often the case. We have in the past sort of shied away from even trying to put them on the menu or promote the fact that it was local because of that. But what we might need to be doing going forward is, you know, if we identify a grower that has some pretty good capacity, they're interested, they can provide us the right packaging and such, you know, maybe we do some pre-sales. We put it out to our schools and the school districts and say, Hey, we have a thousand boxes of peaches available this upcoming week that are local from our friends in Southern Illinois and first come first serve. And It may be a situation where maybe all the schools don't get to take advantage of it every time. But, you know, nevertheless, if we can get a decent amount of packages from that farmer into our school districts throughout the state, you know, I still think that's a win. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's, I think, something we're going to be focusing on here in the next uh, year or two is maybe some pre-ordering of local products. That
0: seems like a good solution. And mm-hmm. despite the challenges that come with meeting quantity demands for schools regarding the produce that you would be getting to them, specifically local produce, there mm-hmm. has been a trend of increasing demand for local foods. So what sorts of factors have been lying beneath that demand that really increase the appeal of local food?
1: Sure. Well, yeah, you know, for me, it's, it's pretty simple. It's, taste Uh, you know it's uh i i most of my product is grown in california uh arizona florida georgia in season okay and when you buy a product from one of these states they package it. They pre-cool it to get it down as cold as they possibly can. Put it on trucks that are refrigerated. Drive it over across the country to your door. We try and keep it cold. It's all about the cold chain and maintaining the cold chain. When I go out to visit my growers in California and I go out into the field and we cut a, a head of romaine and eat some romaine right out of the field, it doesn't taste anything like what I get. You know, when I when I get it at home from my warehouse mm-hmm. and you know, I, I think people know that. I mean, when you when they go to those farmers markets and they see these local growers and they get the some product from there and you know, maybe hasn't had any pre cooling done to it, it's just fresh out of the field, It just tastes better. And uh, you know, even if it's a situation like for the the farm to school program, if we get the product, even if it does end up getting cooled in our warehouses and such, it's still getting to them quicker. I mean, just logistically. I mean, if we we' bring in peaches from Southern Illinois and send them out over the next couple, three days, for uh, that's still getting the peaches from the pit to the people eating it quicker than if we were doing it out of California. I mean, just because logistically, it takes three or four days to get here. You know, right. Kind of thing.
0: And there are environmental benefits that come with that too, just with less emissions that come with transportation, You know, shorter mm-hmm. distances. So that's another positive as well. Yeah.
1: Um, you know, I, and and I'll give some kudos. You know, California tends to be cutting edge on a lot of things, and I will give them kudos. The, uh, the state of California has really worked hard on lowering emissions uh, to the point that produce trucks that are going into or out of the state have to meet uh, additional requirements to reduce emissions, transportation, you know, in and out of the state. And, and I think you'll see more states following that lead. But you're absolutely correct when it comes to me bringing a truck down to Southern Illinois and bringing it up here and taking it to schools. Uh, we're sure, certainly burning a lot less diesel fuel than we uh, would if we were pulling it out of Florida or California or some other place like that. And, and that's, it's not a bad thing.
0: Totally. And that's something that is increasingly becoming more and more on the radar of distributors and producers everywhere. So mm-hmm. hopefully more people are held accountable and we'll, I think we'll see a lot of progress in that regard, but sure. Why don't we switch gears and talk a bit about feeding sites? And what I'm wondering is, how do you provide a benefit to feeding sites searching for local food in your region?
1: Central Illinois Produce is a longtime partner with Eastern Illinois Food Bank. And more recently, we've been reaching out to some of the other food banks in Springfield and Peoria markets, Bloomington markets. There are are plenty of times where we have produce that is perfectly edible. And, you know, I would take it home, eat it myself, and, and do all the time, but maybe it doesn't quite meet the criteria of our restaurants or hospitals or assisted living, maybe just because, of you know, it's getting closer to the end of a shelf life kind of thing. So we will donate produce almost on a daily basis, certainly weekly, to the various shelters. Uh, for them to repurpose and 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 get out there, and, and we've worked with uh, uh, soup pantries, you know, on various products. Sometimes it might be milk, or it might be bakery items, or something along those lines. And uh, that's been a real push on our part is to recognize when we have some product, rather than and letting it go that extra day or two, and then uh, it going to uh, the dumpster to you know, get it in the hands of people in great need. And, and you know, they certainly appreciate that. And uh, what we found even that we've uh, taken it uh, to the point now too, where, you know, if it does get to the point where uh, we can't share it with the food banks or the soup kitchens or food pantries or whatever, you know, rather than uh, putting it into uh, a dumpster, we, uh, we have aligned partnerships with uh, various farmers, uh, you know, uh, livestock farmers who will come and pick it up and then they'll uh, uh, take it and and use it for feed. So saving on landfill, if you will. And of course we do uh, everything we can with uh, recycling, you know, our cardboard and such, you know, trying to be efficient in uh, LED lighting within the warehouses, you know, just really trying to limit our footprint that we have.
0: I think that's really cool. All of the different ways you're paying attention to how, you can make your operation more in tune with that circular economy framework. And sure. you know you have to think about not only, because you're a producer and a distributor, so that's your main role. But then you take things further and you think about, okay, well, we have extra, what are we going to do with it? Instead of just letting it go to waste, that's incredible that you're thinking about how can we help people in need? How can we recycle this in ways like creating... Uh, Mm -hmm. feed for livestock and things like that so that's very fascinating and i'm i'm very excited about that too that's cool good
1: yeah you know and then you know the other thing that you know we had talked about uh or we were going to talk about here was uh we're at the the very beginning of a partnership with a a local charity uh for f-o-u-r osprey uh, is the organization and and they're Working with Carl Hospital, which is a, a regional hospital here in Champaign Urbana, and Carl received a old MTD mass transit bus, and they have uh, retrofitted mm-hmm. the bus and are creating a mobile food pantry. Cool. Which, yeah, is just uh, just amazing, and. It's, it's all logoed up and looks really good, and inside they're in the process of putting in coolers and pantries and so on and so forth, and, and they're gathering uh, donations for the most part right now, uh, food uh, stuffs, and they put it in the, the mobile pantry and they take it into areas of need, and people are allowed to you know, go in and shop you know, in the pantry. There's a, a long-term goal with, uh, with this project that at some point, this mobile pantry could go into affluent neighborhoods uh, with uh, you know some really high quality products. They would sell directly in these neighborhoods, then take the proceeds from those sales and purchase other foodstuffs, which then in turn could be donated or given away to those in need. So, oh,
0: what a great idea.
1: Yeah, I, I, I love it. I mean, we've we still got a ways to go, but we're on the ground floor of this. And one of the things that Central Illinois Produce is doing is we're looking to provide some, and we already have, uh, looking to provide products for the mobile food pantry uh, to be distributed to those in need. And one of the things we're really working on is, is growing products in our freight farm. So. Would you like me to talk about the freight farm a little bit? Yes, I'd love to talk about the freight farm. um, Central Lake Produce is part of a a member group called the Produce Alliance. It's a member organization. There's over 50 of us nationwide that supply produce, uh, basically covering the entire nation for various programs. And one of the members, which was based in uh, Boston, was telling me about this project that he was working on or bought into, and it was uh, called a freight farm. Basically, what it is, is uh, you think about these big container ships that are floating around in the oceans, and they've got those big, giant, heavy things that look like they go on the back of semis, you know, like semi trailers, but super heavy duty for going uh, on the ocean. And they're taking these containers at the end of their life and they're repurposing them. So they take them, they're super well insulated, uh, which is great, and and just strong as an ox. And they basically, you know, go in and they gut them, they paint them. But then inside of them, and this is what's amazing, they have created a a hydroponic growing system. And uh, we're talking all high technology uh, towers where you put the seeds and the seedlings and water, LED strips for lighting. There's the computer board basically to, to maintain the whole function of the fr- uh, freight farm as it goes along. And they basically bring it in on a trailer. And we brought in a big, you know, we poured a concrete pad, we brought in a big crane, we pulled it off the trailer and dropped it on the concrete pad. We plugged in some power to it and took a garden hose and filled up the the holding tank and put our nutrients in there. And away we go. And we started growing stuff. And it's really a fascinating project. And, you know, you can play around with and grow with whatever you want. Initially we uh, purchased the freight farm as a partnership with the university of Illinois. So uh, what we were doing is when we brought this in, we uh, were growing some some lettuces for the University of Illinois and they were taking these lettuces and mixing them with more traditional lettuces and they were calling in a, an Illini blend, which was pretty neat. And it went really well for quite some time. And then like with any farming operation, we, we had some challenges uh, with our growing. We had an issue with something called Pythium wow. and Pythium was, uh, making it difficult for us to grow in our hydroponic farm. And we you know, reached out to the University of Illinois. They were great in assisting us and like, hey, this is what it is. And this is what you need to do in order to get rid of it. So that was sort of a, a cool process of, you know, really you know learning about farming, if you will. And so, you know, we got everything sort of squared away. Then we moved, uh, we started uh, growing some basil. We've been growing basil for a while now. And we uh, so a lot of the fresh basil that uh, goes into the restaurants and hospitals and such in our area are actually grown in the freight farm uh, right here in Urbana. You, The neat thing about the farm is you can grow uh, 365 days a week. It doesn't matter if it's raining out or snowing or sleeting or whatever. It's all self-contained. One of the fascinating things about it is, it's just so efficient to grow in it because it uses very, very little power and it just uses basically just tap water out of the, the garden hose. Uh, that you know, we have a, a few nutrients to get put into it for all intents and purposes. It's organic, but you know, historically speaking, they only give the organic term to things that are grown in soil, and we're not growing in soil, we're uh, growing mm-hmm. in a, a mesh in a tower, and you can go onto uh, our website, www.centralandlightproduce.com. And if you click on uh, freight farm, there's a video on there and you can see it. Or if you do some Googling on freight, uh, freight farm, hydroponic farms, you can see it, but it uses led lights. And of course we can leave those lights on for extended period of time. So it it speeds up the growing process. We're not dependent on mother nature to, to have sunshine to grow uh, we're using the growing spectrums and, uh, and the LED lights, uh, which hang from the ceiling. And the towers, which are suspended from the ceiling, the produce grows toward those lights. Uh, water is used, like I said, hydro strictly hydrop- uh, hydroponic. So it's uh, just water with a uh, few nutrients mix- mixed in for the growing. But there's no heater in the farm. Really? Yeah, think about that. So... Uh, Even in the dead of winter, when it's 30 below zero with a wind chill, there's no heater in the farm. The heat that is given off by the LED light strips in the farm is enough to warm the interior. Uh, We do have an air conditioning unit that takes heat out of the farm. So uh, we have, I believe it's 256 towers, and each tower can grow, if we're growing lettuce as an example, some type of lettuce can grow you know, approximately a dozen heads of lettuce. So each tower has its own LED strip. So and you can hold So that how out. many
0: towers would be in one freight farm?
1: There should be 256 towers in one farm. Wow. One freight farm. So and
0: yield compared to growing in the soil outside, mm-hmm. what is how does that compare?
1: Well, you know, we talk about that. You know, when you think about in traditional farming, you're planting in fields, so you're you're covering an acre of land or whatever, but it's just one plant. With us, we're uh, growing in towers, so we're going vertically. So if you can put 12 heads in the space of a foot versus one head in the space of a foot, we, we get a lot of heads of lettuce in a very small space.
0: Wow. That is um, innovative right there. Yeah.
1: Very much so. And what we find is, you know, you can, going back to the heat uh, aspect of things, you can take a LED light and hold it and you don't burn yourself. You can hold one of these LED strips in, in your hand and you'll feel a slight warmth. But when you have 256 strips hanging, it, believe it or not, it will throw off enough heat that if we turn them on 24 hours a day and just let them warm up the farm, we can actually get the farm up to 130, 140 degrees uh, temperatures just through the LED strips.
0: I would Uh, never guess that
1: could happen. Yeah, it's amazing. Wow. Yeah, so we have an air conditioning unit that will take some of the heat out. You know, we keep the farm, you know, usually it's, it's somewhere around the upper 60s, low 70s, as far as the temperature goes. and so it's ideal growing temperatures and conditions, and it's great-tasting product. I mean, it's clean, it's fresh, it's great. Our, our people who we sell it to love it. Um, and so what's happened here is uh, once we found out about Four Osprey and we found out about the mobile pantry, we talked to them about the possibility of a partnership together uh, on the farm and putting it to good use. So what are what we're working on now is for Osprey is working on providing the labor to work in the farm, volunteers and or, you know, people from the University of Illinois and AG, uh, and they're going to come in and they're actually going to work the farm for us. And then the product that we grow, and I think we're going to focus on what we call power greens, uh, things like Swiss chard and kale and things with really high nutrients. And we're going to grow power greens, and then we're going to take the, the power greens that are grown and donate those to the mobile food pantry in support of their particular product. So whereas originally it was a project sort of designed for the University of Illinois, uh, now it's pivoting a little bit toward a project to help those uh, food insecure people, uh, while still maintaining a connection with the university, be it in testing and or possibly help within the farm and then uh, other other people.
0: So Central Illinois Produce really has a lot going on, and I'm impressed by everything you've told me on this podcast so far, and. Yeah. I'm curious because we all know that 2020 wasn't an easy year for anyone. Looking back, there have been countless challenges that the COVID-19 pandemic presented. So Mm -hmm. I'm curious, what was your greatest accomplishment that addressed such pandemic-related
1: challenges? Yeah. So uh, when 2020 provided probably our lowest moment and greatest moment as a company uh, since i've been involved uh, when uh, the governor was forced to shut down the state uh, back in march we were faced with the challenge of the fact that we had probably a half million dollars of inventory sitting in our warehouses and no place to go with it what what was going to happen there and then not only that was we didn't we didn't have any sales (laughs) you know uh, Mm. none of the restaurants were open And, you know, it was really, uh, I I tell people the story, but one of my daughters works for me in the the business. And uh, a few days after this happened, I came in and and she was at her desk and she was crying. And I was like, you know, what's, what's going on? And she goes, we're not going to make it. She goes, we're just not going to make it. And it was sort of like, Well, I hadn't never thought of that, (laughs) but I guess that's possible. And, you know, through some really quick thinking, great work, we were able to locate uh, some grocery stores in the Chicagoland area with some partners of ours uh, who were desperately looking for for produce. Because, of course, when that happened, everyone went out to the grocery stores and they bought produce and uh, all the shelves were empty. And we were able to take product that normally they wouldn't have purchased. We're, we're generally lined up with food service, restaurants and such, not retail type things, but uh, because they had a need, we were able to, to get product out there. So uh, we were able to sell out the inventory. And then of course, restaurants started to get more creative, you know, as far as take home and such. And we were sort of uh, limping along. And then in April of 2020, The USDA uh, announced a program designed to help the farmers, specifically in the food service industry. I don't think people realize there are farmers that grow specifically for grocery stores, retail type quality, and there's farmers that grow for food service. You know, people are going to chop up the, the product and put it in salads or on pizzas or whatever. And what was happening was the retail growers were doing exceptionally well. While the food service growers were were just tilling under thousands, hundreds of thousands of acres of produce because they had no place to go with it, so the government recognized there was a need uh, there were, and there was a problem here. So they created the uh, Farmers to Families Food Box Program, and basically what they did was uh, they went out to distributors like ourselves and they said, "Hey, you know." Can you bring in produce from these people, put it into boxes that are, you know, very safe and easy to handle and take those and give those to food banks? And then the food banks can literally just take them off the pallet, the box, and put it into people's trunks. Very safe. Because, of course, think about that. Everybody's worried about contact and Uh, the issues of COVID at that time, but we have so many food insecure people that are in desperate need. And uh, the Farmers to Family Food Box Program was born. And uh, the government challenged us to make 150,000 boxes a month to be distributed in in Illinois. And we accepted that challenge. Um, We were able to work with uh temp agencies we created all the boxes in Danville, illinois and we were able to work with the local temp agency there uh to hire you know 20 some people you know we had our own staff that was working we bought taping machines and we bought balers to bail the cardboard from the boxes we uh, went out and, and got with all these various growers and put together boxes and from Basically, the end of May until today, and we're continuing to do these boxes now and and are going to be doing them at least through the end of April, is what it looks like. But, you know, we'll be well over a million boxes uh, that we have made and distributed to food banks, 501cs, people in need. And it was, it was without question, one of the most difficult undertakings that we've ever done to ramp up something that quickly and uh, to be able to do that uh, in addition to our, our, Uh, normal sales. And we're very, very proud to have been part of that whole program and have got a lot of uh, positive press from that, from uh, both the people we're supplying, but uh, the USDA and the government and such. And it's been a real honor to be a part of that.
0: Wow, John, that is such an inspiring story and definitely just a creative and necessary solution to all sorts of issues that came up the pandemic. I'm so in awe of 150,000 boxes a month, and now you've reached over a million boxes. I think Mm -hmm. that is absolutely incredible. And what you're doing is truly an inspiration. And I commend you for all the challenges you've overcome in the past year. And I just want to say it's been such a pleasure to hear from you today and to have you talk to our listeners about everything you're doing at Central Illinois Produce. And yeah, I just like to say thank you for being on the show.
1: Yeah, oh, it's been my pleasure. Uh, I'm glad you reached out. Um uh you know, we're we're a company that a lot of people don't know really exists other than maybe seeing our trucks driving around and seeing the name and you know, who are these people and what are they doing? Uh you know, most people they go into a a restaurant, you know, let's say they go into Olive Garden, they get the, the soup and salad and breadsticks and they just assume the salad comes from Olive Garden. Well, you know, it actually comes from a, a company like ourselves who's buying from uh, growers all over the country and consolidating it in our warehouses and then redistributing it uh, to backs of these restaurants or to hospitals. We do a, a whole bunch of assisted living centers. Um, we do do a little bit of, of retail type stuff, but generally it might be more along the lines of uh, a food co-op co- like a common ground or somebody. Um, But we, you know, we, we try and be innovative in what we do, Um, you know, one other thing that we did do uh, when the pandemic was occurring, the state of Illinois actually reached out to us and we were um, uh, taking uh, the personal protection items around for them. So, you know, masks and gloves and such, Uh, they didn't have a way to get them, you know, to the hospitals and then assisted living and such. And we actually were uh, were taking those products around on our uh, produce trucks and helping out the state of Illinois, you know, getting these people taken care of with, uh, you know, keeping them safe. So whatever we can do. Yeah,
0: Yeah. whatever you can do. You in Central Illinois produce everyone down there. The phrase that came to my mind when you're talking about all this is you're really an unsung hero. You play a huge role in the supply chain. And yeah, it's a thing that More people need to start thinking about like, where is their food coming from and Mm -hmm. what goes into it? All sorts of things like that. So what an honor it has been to talk to you today. And I'm glad we were able to have this chat. And thank you again for being here.
1: You're very welcome, Amy. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to the Now More Than Ever podcast, brought to you by the Illinois Farm to School Network at Seven Generations Ahead and made possible through funding from the USDA Community Systems Farm to School Grant Fund. I'm your host, Annie Dysart, and I'll see you next time on Now More Than Ever.